0: Each individual gives their own meaning. The same thing was true when I did art therapy or I did work with clients in narrative therapy, even cognitive behavioral therapy that I did. It is all about helping people find their story, the meaning in their life, the meaning behind their suffering and the meaning behind their hopes and dreams for the future. And face reading is a shortcut to help people Find the next step on their journey.
1: I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological, the podcast that curates East Asian medicine and methods through the power of conversation for practitioners of the art so that we can better help our patients. When I first went to Chinese medicine school, my teachers told us stories of how they screwed things up, how, in their attempt to be helpful, they caused further harm and failed their patient. But the story did not end there because the story is about how to cool, how to eat some bitter, how to use the experience to see where they were mistaken and then start again with a more honed perspective. The story ended well and we learned that we learned through our experience with our patients. They taught me that the best doctors help their patients and then send them on their way. But then the practice management class told us about how our medicine should be administered on a regular basis and it's a good idea to sign patients up for a regular visit so that we can keep them dependently healthy. Tune up. I've grown to hate that term when it slips out of my mouth even if, over the years, I've traded the image of adjusting the fuel injectors on a car for that of caring for a fine musical instrument. Perhaps it is that I like my patients to be whole enough to not need me. Perhaps it is the as-yet-untransformed hubris of thinking I can be a bien like wandering doctor, who can change the course of a life with one encounter. A less archetypical human life is a much muddier going. I think about the character of my practice, the people that show up, like the steady rhythm of the seasons. Sometimes they are here because they are a little older, and let's face it, we all aren't what we were 15 years ago. The digestion needs a reminder, or they forget how to sleep, or perhaps there's been a title change and now there's cancer or one too many back surgeries or simply that things really do decline and we do what we can to shore up the sinking foundation. I find, too, that sometimes people come because it's a safe place to fall apart a little, to give voice and attention to what otherwise must be held so tight that we ourselves cannot see it. Sometimes people come in because breakdowns and breakthroughs are hard to tell apart. They need a reliable place, free of their own judgment, to sit with the catastrophe of life. Not in the way of confession, but more in a kind of neutral stillness. Like the autumn leaves that need no support in falling, they simply let go to gravity and the wind. Like the fungal world digests form and turns it into nutritive potential, I suspect people come back to my treatment table and clinic room to witness themselves, to unfetter themselves from all the solutions that hold in place their current suffering. There is something about how a conversation with needles does enliven the jing qi, create a more coherent connection between protective and nutritive, and allow the shen, free of the constraint of story, to bubble up a reminder about a person's ming. All these ideas about Chinese medicine are, well, just that—a set of charts and roadmaps that help us to navigate an exchange that will bring benefit to our patients. I am so frequently reminded I'm not the one in charge of healing, that's an inside job. It's something that can be conjured but not commanded. It's something out of my hands and at the same time entangled with the time that I spend with my patients. I am all for reliable, repeatable and effective treatment. The troubles that people have when they type acupuncture into the search engine. I want to see them gone. I most assuredly have a horse in the race. I'd like to see a bit more order and less chaos in the world. And I'd like those moments before slipping into sleep at the end of the day to feel like it's been a day worth living. I've that kind of constitution that likes to build and create. And yet the work in clinic is so often about undoing, composting, and allowing for fallow empty moments. Am I doing this work for others or for myself? It's a question I've successfully avoided entertaining for long stretches of days, and it brings me back to a fundamental question that I don't remember entertaining at the beginning of this enterprise of practicing medicine. The question, just what is the role of a doctor Practice of medicine requires us to confront uncomfortable questions beyond friendly terms with uncertainty, and all the while have in the front of our minds the knowledge that has helped doctors treat patients for a longer time than most of us can accurately conceptualize. One of the tools of the trade that most of us don't learn in school is how to read the face, and that is the topic of this conversation with Julie Kramer. She studied the tradition as it was taught by Lillian Bridges through the Lotus Institute, and there's some helpful clinical perspectives that we'll get into here in just a moment. But before that, I've got something new for you. It's called Shop Talk. It's a new portion of the digital campfire here that goes into the nuts and bolts of practice. It's all practical material on using acupuncture or herbs to understand and treat your patients in clinic, and the how-to of running that fantastic machine for social good and change? Your practice. But first, a word from the folks who make it possible for you to enjoy cheological. These conversations are made possible through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Here's the quick lineup of offerings brought to you by the people that bring you geological looking to stay healthy. As we move into the fall, Mayway herbs has solutions and resources for you. Practitioners crafting solutions for other practitioners. That's golden flower, Chinese herbs. Listen for details on their free herbal guide herbs that both taste good and are effective. Yes, it's possible with Griffo botanicals, potent concentrates. And later in the show, a free teaching from Anne Cecil Sturman, be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers for listeners of the podcast. And if you'd like to get your podcast conversations served up ad-free, become a member. I know many of us have a hard time getting patients to take herbs. Patients often balk at the number of pills I tell them or cringe at the taste of the powders. My friends over at Griffo Botanicals, they found a solution. Their tinctures are super easy to take and actually taste pretty good. Imagine telling your patients take one teaspoon per day and it kind of tastes like vanilla extract. Blows your mind, right? Now, imagine these tinctures being made from the best herbs and being more concentrated than any other tincture on the market. Do I have your attention yet? And what have I told you? They also come in beautiful antique bottles that patients just love. And furthermore, they can be had for about the price of tea pills. Now, I suspect I have your attention. Try them out at GriffoBotanicals.com. That's G-R-I-F-F-O Botanicals.com. GriffoBotanicals, the taste of potent medicine. Hi, folks.
2: I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. With the rise in COVID cases and other seasonal illnesses, staying healthy is more important than ever. Protecting yourself and your patients is paramount, and we're here to help. In addition to nearly 200 Chinese herbal formulas under our Plunklar brand, explore expert articles on Meiwei.com and in our monthly newsletters. And check out our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, where industry leaders and respected health professionals delve into insightful discussions about herbs, tackle seasonally relevant topics, and outline effective treatment strategies for common and uncommon conditions. This month, the focus is on seasonal coughs, lung dryness, and preventative solutions. Just search for Chinese Medicine Matters on your favorite podcast streaming apps and get ready to learn, heal, and thrive. So this season and every season, trust Mayway for your health and wellness needs and as a source of TCM news and information. Thanks so much for supporting Real Chinese Medicine.
1: You already know that the face in many ways reflects a person's inner psychological and physiological landscape. The forehead, eyebrows, mouth, and chin, they all have a story to tell. Julie brings her background in psychology along with her practice in face reading and shares with us not only some important indicators to look for when we are with our patients but also a perspective on how the mind and body express through the face that we show to the world. We will be getting right into that after this episode's Shop Talk. Welcome to Shop Talk. In this portion of the podcast, we are bringing you roughly 15 minutes of practical clinical methods, perspectives, and advice that has its work boots on. This section is all about practical material that you can begin to investigate the next time that you walk into clinic. Additionally, visit the show notes page for supporting materials from this week's guest on Shop Talk. All right, roll up your sleeves. Let's get to work. Hi, everyone.
3: I'm Ross Rosen from the Center for Acupuncture and Herbal Medicine in Westfield, New Jersey, and I'm one of the senior certified instructors in the Shenhammer Pulse lineage, as well as being the author of Heart Shock, Diagnosis and Treatment of Trauma with Shenhammer and Classical Chinese Medicine. In today's shop talk, I would like to share with you one of the most important findings on the pulse. Now, people hear pulse and they get a little worried. How much training and dedication and time does one need to master the pulse? A lot, generally. However, The beauty of what I want to share today reveals some of the most important aspects of our health, and it's easy. Anyone can do it, even with no training whatsoever in pulse, or even Chinese medicine for that matter. According to Dr. Leon Hammer, and all of us who practice this pulse system, issues of rate and rhythm are the most significant parameters of health, and any deviations from normal, for the most part, obviate all other findings and must be dealt with right away, or in the very least, in conjunction with other immediate interventions. So let's get to discussing a little bit about rate and perhaps we can discuss rhythm on another shop talk. And importantly, I want to detail the importance of rate on exertion, what it is, why it's so important and the steps for how to effectively and reliably perform the evaluation. So rate and rhythm critically impact diagnosis and treatment. According to Dr. Hammer, the integrity of the rate and rhythm is the single most important aspect of pulse diagnosis. And despite this, And partially due to rate and rhythm issues being so commonplace, it's largely ignored by practitioners of Western and Chinese medicine, respectively. So hopefully after today, you will not let that ubiquity lull you into ignoring this critical aspect of one's health. It is axiomatic in Chinese medicine that the heart is the emperor. We know that. And anything that affects the emperor will also affect each and every minister, official, and subject within the empire. As such, it requires our fullest attention. Rate and rhythm are the most significant indicators of cardiac function, and they overshadow the implications of all other findings. According to Dr. Shen, all rate changes involve heart functioning, and they are intimately connected to the nervous system. Thus, it has an impact on how we handle stress, the quality of how we defend ourselves, right? For example, the taiyang level and its associations to Wei Qi more broadly. Wei Qi governs smooth muscle contractions, and the heart is a smooth muscle. So these dynamics will impact each other intimately. Instability in the nervous system creates poor control over the mind and the brain and destabilizes the heart, which also controls the mind, and this in turn causes more imbalance in the nervous system. Over time, symptoms of emotional instability increase in both frequency as well as severity. Now, historically, rate has been correlated with conditions of heat and cold. And while we do, of course, still see this play out, in modern times, alteration from a normal rate is more often a sign of significant and far-reaching processes than just heat and cold. It's most frequently associated with the heart and the circulatory system. Cardiac function, including factors that affect the heart, such as trauma in utero, at birth or in life, physical traumas, overexercising and overworking, all these have a more enduring impact than simply hot or cold conditions. Emotional shock or trauma, more broadly, the subject of my textbook, Heart Shock, initially raises the rate. If coping mechanisms that protect the heart, right, the small intestine, pericardium, the triple burner mechanism, if these have not fully matured in an individual or there is insufficient qi, the ability of the heart to return to normal function is limited. For this reason, children are especially vulnerable to the effects of trauma. And with the increase in rate, the heart qi is gradually consumed through overwork, ultimately depleting the heart. If very deficient, there is an inability to maintain stability in times of stress, and the rate will increase far in excess of what is ordinarily appropriate to the strain. Similarly, significant physical trauma causes qi and blood stagnation in the periphery. In maintaining the circulatory demands of the organism, the heart has to work harder to overcome the resistance. If there are ongoing consequences as a result of the injury, the heart eventually tires, decreasing the rate. This includes any overworking of the heart including excessive aerobic exercise. These factors and others will play a major role in creating the terrain and underlying status of the heart in general, and they will impact the findings of the rate on exertion. This is important because it gives us clues on etiology and treatments. Now, some causes of the rapid rate, the most common cause is a recent shock and over time, the heart weakens and the rate slows. But elevated rates can also be a function of nervous system tension and stress, internal and external pathogenic heat, febrile illnesses from infections. We must consider this if there are corroborating signs and symptoms. And we could also see a temporary increase in rate if the heart G is deficient and the person is under significant stress. The slow rate is related more to heart functioning and the circulation of blood than to either excess or deficient cold. Anything that depletes the qi or yang of the heart can create this, including over-exercising, long-standing trauma, et cetera. So besides qi or yang deficiency of the heart, sometimes we will see slow rates as a result of one of three factors, either poisoning, right toxicity, where the pulse will be very slow, someone who's exercised beyond their energy, or late stage atherosclerosis. So it's important to also note that the rate involves the entire pulse, right? These are systemic issues, which makes sense. We mentioned before the heart is the emperor, and so anything that affects the heart will affect the entire empire. Generally in the Shenhammer system, we are measuring when we take the rate for a minute with an automatic watch, which allows for greater reliability. For the Shenhammer system, unlike classical Chinese medicine, we are not measuring according to the breath. So, let's talk now a little bit about the rate on exertion. The heart and the circulatory system should respond to the energetic demands of movement within certain parameters. If we're doing an activity, we are asking the heart to engage and respond, and the nature and quality of that response is important diagnostic information. There are four basic parameters of the heart's response. First is the normal response, and what we'd like to see is an increase of roughly 8 to 12 beats per minute. Any, out changes outside, any changes outside of this range are considered pathological. So the method. Generally, when we're feeling someone's pulse in the Shenhammer system, when we first sit down, we feel their rate with both hands on both wrists. We do this for a minute, and we, we note the rate on the pulse record. At the end of the evaluation, we do that again, and we note the ending rate. Then we ask the patient to stand up and swing their arm vigorously in a circle approximately 10 times. To do this, generally, we stand perpendicular to our patient, we cradle the patient's wrist with our left hand, and we use our right hand to feel the radial artery, right? Once they conclude with their 10 swings, which we generally try and count out for them so that they stop right on number 10, we immediately check the pulse and note the rate for 10 seconds, and we multiply that number by 6. We then take that rate, and we compare it to the rate taken at the end of the pulse examination and the one that we took at the beginning. So like I said there's a number of possibilities. The first possibility is the normal response where the rate increases by 8 to 12 beats per minute. Secondly we may see that the rate stays the same or rises by less than 8 beats per minute. This is a finding of heart chi deficiency. The next possibility is that the rate actually decreases from the resting heart rate. This is a severe heart yang deficiency and is typically associated with overt Western medically defined heart disease. It is more common in the elderly, but it will happen in other populations, so we do want to be mindful of this. It tends to be a fairly critical situation. The other scenario is that the rate increases by greater than 12 beats per minute. Now, this is a sign of heart blood deficiency, and the degree of that blood deficiency is determined by actually how high above 12 it goes. So I've classified five different ranges of blood deficiency. If the person's heart rate jumps between 13 and 18 beats per minute, that's a fairly mild heart blood deficiency. If it rises between 19 and 28 beats per minute, we classify that as a moderate heart blood deficiency. Between 29 and 35 is severe. 35 to 45 would be very severe. And then above 45 would place us in the extremely severe category. Right. And then if you're thinking, well, I don't do internal medicine. I just treat pain or I do sports medicine. So let me just tell you a quick story about um, when I first started out practicing. I, when I left the Pacific College of Oriental Medicine in 2000 and I was building my private practice, I spent a little bit of time in a friend's office who was a physiatrist and he treated primarily insurance cases that were motor vehicle accidents. The people coming in to see him were generally in severe pain from their injuries and he would put them on a round of pain relieving medications. If they came back for the next visit and they weren't receiving any benefit from those medications, he would send them into the physical therapy department and they would undergo a round of physical therapy for a number of weeks, usually three times a week for a few weeks. If they weren't getting better after that, he would then refer them to me for a full pulse evaluation. And while all these people came from varying demographics, ages, and so forth, and they all had their unique health histories, there was one unifying thing that they all shared in common, and that was that they had raises in their rate on exertion in the severe to very severe or extremely severe ranges. Now, what this tells us is that this blood deficiency and this impairment was not allowing a full healing response. They were not getting the proper irrigation, the proper circulation of blood oxygen and nourishment to the tissues to allow for the healing process. They were staying in a state of inflammatory response and pain. And so, It's not uncommon to see this in your clinical practice. Other things that we see very common these days, especially with the severe and very severe and extremely severe ranges of rises on uh, exertion, would be with our POTS cases. These are the postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome cases. Now, used to be that this was a fairly uncommon case, although I've been seeing this and teaching on this for over a decade. Since COVID, however, we are seeing an explosion of these cases, and I urge you to do this radon exertion with these people because you will find some rather alarming findings with the radon exertion. Other things that we typically see with these um, issues, especially if their rate is staying the same or rising by less than eight beats, or sometimes even with these heart blood deficiency cases, is all the ranges of arthritis conditions, B syndromes, wandering joint pains, the chronic fatigues and fibromyalgia patients. These are very commonly falling within this realm. So it behooves us to, to check this and do this protocol on all of our patients. So, I really hope you find this metric useful. And I hope that you experiment with it with all your patients. And I'm confident it's going to add significantly to your diagnoses and your treatments. And please reach out and let me know what you find. You can reach me at rossrosen at gmail.com through my websites, rossrosen.com or centerforacupuncture.com. I'm on Facebook, Instagram. I have uh, Facebook groups for heart shock and, and my practice and so forth. And please click on the show notes link below to see a demonstration of how to do the rate on exertion test. I uploaded a video to YouTube for your convenience. There's so much more I want to share and talk to you about rate and rhythm, but and and so many other things. And I, I hope that I'll be able to do more shop talks in the future. But I do want to let you know of a number of offerings coming up and some that are ongoing. I'm offering on a regular basis weekend intensives for pulse training as well as classical Chinese pulse. I also do weekend deep dives into heart shock and trauma, and I'm particularly excited about this upcoming four-day immersion that will include trainings on heart shock and trauma, pulse diagnosis, as well as Taoist medicine. This will be coming up on April 20th to 23rd, which tends to fall out on the Earth Day weekend this year up in my Adirondack Retreat Center. So I hope you will join me for some of these deeper study opportunities, and I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks so much.
1: Flower Chinese Herbs, they got their start probably much like you. They saw that they could make a difference. Back in the day, quality herbs without adulterants were sometimes hard to find. John Scott and Lorena Amanda, who founded Goldenflower Chinese Herbs, wanted top quality medicinals for their patients, families, and themselves. The solution to herbs without additives was to make their own. They cared about their patients, and they wanted the best for them. Golden Flower Chinese Herbs uses both wisdom of the past and combines it with the innovation of the present. They have traditional formulas, along with novel modern ones, to help you treat your patients with effective, potent herbal medicine in tablet form. Visit their website to get your own clinical guide that is also a helpful clinical manual. Practitioners crafting solutions for other practitioners. That's Golden Flower Chinese Herbs. Visit them online at www.gfcherbs.com. Julie Kramer, welcome to Geological.
0: Thank you so much, Michael. I'm really happy to be here today.
1: What makes you so happy about being here?
0: Because I'm really excited to be part of the conversation of how we can unlock our body's innate power to heal, right? That when when we look at what we're doing in this world, our body is the beginning of everything for us. And so I'm really honored at joining this conversation.
1: I love it. I love the way you frame it because it's not just the conversation we're having here between you and me at this moment in time. We're talking about a conversation. It's an ongoing conversation. You could say it's an ongoing conversation on the podcast, but it's also an ongoing conversation since Huang Di and Chi Boa sat down to have a conversation about how come people aren't so well as they used to be thousands of years ago.
0: Right. And that was thousands of years ago.
1: And that was thousands of years ago. <laughs> Here we are. I had a friend the other day say, you know, the Big Bang is still going on.
0: That's great. Yeah, we're still expanding. We're moving. Who knows how far we will go.
1: Exactly. So you have an interesting mix that you bring to the conversation. You have a background in psychology. Yes. And you have a background in face reading. In fact, you studied with Lillian Bridges.
0: Well, I studied with one of her kind of primary students, C.T. Holman. So, yes.
1: Oh, okay. C.G. He's been on the podcast.
0: Yes. He's remarkable. Just an incredible healer. And- so many diverse ways. He works with people and their bodies and minds and experiences, so I was very honored to learn from his program.
1: So just how is it that you wound around to face reading?
0: Yeah, it comes really authentically. As a psychologist, I did my doctoral work in psychology. I didn't go on to practice because I was in education, and that's my interest is helping people maximize their potential, right? So that is the foundation of my research. And when I was doing my counseling, I worked at university level, I worked at the high school level, private clients. And what I found was we used tools in psychology to unlock blockages in our sight, right? In what, how we see ourselves. So whether it was Myers-Briggs inventory, or if it was the Rorschach, that was probably one of the hardest things I ever learned to do was how to score a Rorschach test. If you don't know what that is, it's the ink blots that people see. And what's interesting, that doesn't matter at all. What matters is where are you looking and what type of imagery does it evoke? And it was fascinating, really, really challenging to do. But the goal was an art therapy. I did a lot of art therapy. The other portion of my doctorate was in visual arts and their power for um, positive identity. But what we tried to do was how do we get at what is there, what might be locked away, what might be hidden that we can uncover for you to feel better, to feel happier. And face reading, when I came upon it, I just kind of, my brain exploded. It was like, whoa, this is such a powerful tool, much more rigorous, right? In its hundreds of years of case study, it's been in use, the method I follow, the Lillian Bridges method for 300 years or more. And it is very dynamic. It's not static. Things change, things evolve. You can change your own face and it looks at the past, it looks at the present, it looks at the future. And so I found it probably the most effective tool I had ever used in helping people see into themselves.
1: So you use it as a way both of diagnosis, but also in a sense, I'm using the word loosely here, treatment. Let's say maybe intervention would be a better thing to say.
0: Yeah. Intervention is good. I'm more of a narrative therapist. That's my kind of psychological modality, really looking at unique possible outcomes that we can find within our lives. And so I look at it as a tool to help us identify what we're doing in the world. So for example, I'll tell you a little story, you being you and your listeners being fans of you, there were a lot of very conflicting pieces of information during this recent pandemic, right? The last couple of years. And I noticed I started getting these skepticism lines above my eyebrows. They still haven't completely dissipated. And I realized, oh my goodness, I am changing my mind. I am changing my way of being in the world, which is very open and loving and bring what you bring no judgment, but I was judging. I was cynical. So I stopped doing all the research I was doing about all the various things we needed to learn about. And I just said, I'm going to be in the world and not worry about these things right now. And I had done enough research. I knew what I needed for my life. And so I was able to, I guess, do an intervention for myself and buffer what information I was taking in create a safe space for me to be authentic to who I am. So that would be a personal example of how I use the face reading information. And yeah, I do this with my clients, right? We find places where they might be stuck, things that they hadn't thought about. And then we'll do a face reading and I can tell some stories, but I just wanna see if you have any thoughts because I know you have so much to share in this arena.
1: So a couple of things, first of all, How do you not worry about the stuff that's got the world on fire? And I ask this for a very specific reason. Number one, when we're caught up in the midst of a zeitgeist, it's hard not to pay attention to it. So there's that. The second piece is almost all my patients who claim they have anxiety, and it's not a small amount because it's a very popular thing to have these days. Have you noticed that this is a sidebar? I'm going to come back. But have you noticed that kids these days, brag about their mental health issues. It's like, I've got this mental health diagnosis and they're like proud of it. It's like a badge of honor. Have you noticed that?
0: I have noticed it. So I've been, starting in 1987 is when I started teaching high school. And I was in a school and overnight camp setting all the way from then until 2018. And over that time, I saw this labeling and this pride. And what I think has happened is that It is turned into a way of connecting, a way of building relationships. So if they share their story and get empathy, it's like a positive reinforcement. They're getting this love that they feel they desire and deserve. And they're also offsetting any rejection. Well, if I do something that isn't acceptable or you don't like, it's just because of this, right? They're able to dissociate their own selves from the diagnosis.
1: I've got this mental health condition, and so if I behave badly, well, you know, i got this mental health condition.
0: Exactly.
1: Which I'm also getting strokes for because we share this mental health condition. It's Right. I used to share drinking cheap beer with buddies. Yes, yes. You know, it's how we bonded as teenagers.
0: Yes. And my hope is, and this is one of the reasons I didn't go into practice, is that, and this is also the skepticism, I feel... The labeling started out with good intentions,
4: mm. and
0: it has become valuable for different reasons for different people. I really believe that people that are in positions of acquiring wealth and financial gain from the diagnoses have come to dominate the diagnoses. So when I was first starting out with the DSM-3R, r went into DSM-4 and 5, that became easier and easier with each successive version of the document to get a diagnosis. And oftentimes, it was easier to get diagnoses that had prescriptions tied to them. Mm
4: -hmm. So
0: um, my heart breaks. I die every day when I think of little babies, three years old, four years old, on antidepressant medication, this whole very much profit-generating endeavor as opposed to a healing-generating endeavor. And so that's why I gravitated more to Chinese medicine, now face reading. I also do a lot with Qigong and meditation to help people heal because then you're really getting at the roots you're not masking
1: Are you working with kids in the work that you're doing? I mean like teen are you doing stuff with teenagers
0: I'm not right now I'm
1: not we need you to do it
0: I'm hoping I will right now I'm really working with people forty five and older mm. because I find that there's so much needless suffering and we can help just people have a joy at this stage of their life. There are a lot of misconceptions and ideas about aging that younger people I've found aren't ready to hear yet. And that the older audience, the older generations are hungry for, they're really hungry. So I do hope to work on some curriculum for teenagers and preteens. I just haven't had that opportunity yet.
1: Okay. Well, thank you for this little uh, detour. I appreciate that.
0: You're welcome.
1: I've got a teenager, and like a lot of her friends are on these drugs, and it breaks my heart. It's like you're 17. Like you're supposed to have a little angst. Come on, enjoy it.
0: And I want to talk about that just really briefly, if I can. Our modern—I have many nieces and nephews. I'm very blessed, and one of them is particularly struggling with some issues and. The family put her on antidepressants at 14. And at the time, I was like, oh, no, this is not going to go well. And subsequently, her life has just gone down and down and down. Because I saw when I worked with teenagers during my doctorate, you start one med, then you get another, then another, then another. And instead, what she really needed, at the time, she was doing five extracurricular activities, had a very rigorous program. Her body and mind were depressed because she needed one thing. She needed to slow down,
4: mm-hmm.
0: not feel the pressure to achieve. She needed to go in a room and sleep for a few weeks. You know, I mean, the body is brilliant. The body is so good. When we feel depressed, it's such a gift. It's like, wow, something I'm doing in my life is, needs to change. And that's what I feel why so many of these kids just are, give me the drug. It's kind of like Elvis and Marilyn Monroe and Michael Jackson for our babies. Give me the drug. Let me keep going.
1: Let me keep doing this thing that's going to make me worse and worse. I'm with you. There are messages that we get. They're not comfortable. In fact, they're very uncomfortable. Maybe we're swinging back to the zeitgeist thing I wanted to yeah go into with you. Things that were uncomfortable. Recent COVID thing. Pick your narrative. Whichever side of the sides, more than two, of the conversation you want to be on You know, there's plenty there. But again, I want to bring it back to you. You said something about you decided that you just weren't going to worry about this thing that's kind of in your face. How do you do that?
0: So the first thing I did was really look at who is wanting me to think these things. Mm. What motivation do they have and how is my thinking playing into it? The second thing is I read a brilliant book, The Psychology of Totalitarianism by a psychologist from Brussels. I'm going to forget his name right now. I apologize for that. And in it, he goes into the foundation of how do we get to a totalitarian state? And he wrote it looking at the rise of Nazism, Stalinism, and the pandemic
4: mm-hmm.
0: all of the different sides and perspectives, and he roots it it's interesting you said that so many of your patients have anxiety. He explains that we are in a perpetual state of anxiety because we've lost meaning in our lives. when we went through the scientific revolution, we gained a lot of beautiful, beautiful things, and I'm going to butcher his narrative, so I invite people to please read the book. It's short but deep and. When we did this, when we took away all religion or all life in the village, right? When the industrial revolution exploded and people were dislocated from purpose, right? When you make shoes back in your village and you see people wearing them around the streets, you know, you've helped keep people warm and safe, right? There's meaning, there's purpose. When you sew the clothes, you bake the bread, you plow the fields, And what he said is so many people nowadays are in these positions of anxiety because their jobs have no real purpose. Many people are in office jobs where they're punching in numbers, doing data, or you and I are lucky. We have lives of purpose. We see every day the lives we touch and how we help people. But imagine this nothingness. And he says from this anxiety, the person needs to feel a structure. If they don't have a religious structure, a spiritual structure, or a job that gives them a meaningful structure, they have to find it somewhere. And where they find it could be on the web. And he talks about both ends, right? Like conspiracy theorists, that's a weakness as well as people being willing, very happy to say, you must do this with your body. The other side would never say you must do something with your body, like really juxtaposing where people. Are getting their information. So he does a beautiful job. So I looked at that and I really asked myself what I said earlier who's asking me to think what? Mm -hmm. And what do I really care about? And what do I really think? And it came down to I care for the people in my family. That's number one. I'm very blessed. I have a very large family on my side and my husband's side, and they take a lot of love and time. I feel very blessed for my students, all of my members, the people in my life that I get to help every day. And that, at the end of the day, is why I get up every morning. And did knowing about this study, that study, this truth, that lie affect me past once I did my research to know what decisions I needed to make for my own body, my own self? Nope, they don't. Does the election, does any of that beyond? doing my research about what i want the person i'm voting for to do for my life nope i don't need to know more than on a con- bombarding me every day i can get the information know what i need to know and then i turn it off because what matters for me is not being informed because i'm not going to change anyone's mind or anyone's life that way i'm going to change people's lives by helping them know they're remarkable Incredible, unique beings and and help them find that.:
1: So you focus on the meaning, you focus on creating the meaning. I do And you know, I'm thinking about the person who might be punching numbers or punching a clock and what that's like. Is that a meaningless existence? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, it depends on how they look at it. If they've got a job, it's for a reason somebody needs them to do that. so is there some meaning? enough meaning that they're getting a paycheck. So there's that. question is, what's the meaning that we make individually? You know, there's that old story about there's two guys and they're building a stone wall. And one of them's grumbling because, "Ah, this stone wall, you know, it's hard work and I'm dirty. And the other guy goes, yeah, in 200 years, there'll be a cathedral here.
0: Yeah. Oh, I just got chills. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I'm not meaning to demean. I was just trying to let the listeners know that from when there isn't meaning and whatever your job, you can always find meaning in your job, but many people don't. And my daughter being one of them, she is a data analyst and she really wants to be an historian. You know, So there's a disconnect oftentimes between what people want to do and what they are doing. Mm -hmm. And so in that situation, there are healthy ways to find connection and structure and purpose. And then there are ways that can make you have more anxiety, that can increase your anger, that can increase your loneliness, right? So those ways are very easy to find now because of social media. And it comes down to, which is why I love the face reading in my story of what I noticed, are you too angry right now? Are you feeling too much loneliness, too much anxiety? Like, Are you out of balance where you can't just come to a state of quietude? And that's what I find with a lot of people who always watch the news or always on social media. Their mind lacks quiet. It lacks this space to just be with their mind and body. And that's where a lot of the anxiety comes from because they rarely have the opportunity to recenter.
1: I would say in many cases, They're afraid to pull their nose out of the news, afraid they're going to miss something. And if they miss something now, it's all going to fall apart. And what you just were talking about, that there's a way that you can be informed by the news or whatever, and then there's a way that you use it to dysregulate yourself. It's like anything. A certain amount of something, ah, just right. Too much of it, not so good. Too little of it also, not so good in a different direction.
0: Absolutely. That's exactly right.
1: Yeah, to be able to hit that sweet spot. I've got a buddy who is actually studying to be a social worker at this point, but he used to be a journalist. He was a journalist for many, many years. He says, if you don't listen to the news, you're ill-informed. If you listen to the news, you're misinformed. Isn't that great? Yeah. And, you know, like you're saying, Who's writing the copy on that? What is it that they want to try to get you to do? Often not to your benefit, although they're selling it as a benefit. What I think I hear you saying with the face reading is that there's a way that you can connect with people in a very physical way, in a very present way, in the moment way, looking at them, kind of singing their song back to them, telling their story back to them by what you see on the face in a way that maybe they hear it differently or tell me more about that. Do I have that right?
0: Yeah, you totally have that right. And I'm just smiling ear to ear because I'm thinking of my clients, right? I'm thinking of the aha moments they have where they're like, oh my gosh, I haven't thought about that relationship in years. So for example, there's the sort of the stamp, like a line that comes down between the brows. It talks a lot about a relationship with a father figure that For good or ill, that person was very strong in your life. There's also, depending on it, it can be estrangement, right? You've had an estrangement in your life that has affected you. I have one client who didn't have a relationship with her father, had really rejected any thought of males or men. But when I read her face, she was like, oh my gosh, I forgot all about this uncle I have
4: Mm -hmm. and
0: how important he was to me. And what he taught me and how much of what he taught me is in my life. So she had, think of yin-yang, right? She was out of balance with a positive identification, but her face told a different story. Her face told that she had had this boost of confidence from a male in her life. And so she revisited these memories, revisited these aspects of herself and felt empowered by what she saw there. So that's an example, kind of this hidden mystery and this gift that we have through face reading. Another thing, we talk about anxiety. And one of the things we look at in face reading are the earlobes. Mm. And on the earlobes, it really looks at money. And there's two things, actually. One of the things is money. Are you saving? Have you thought enough about your future? And so my younger clients tend to have much smaller earlobes. And it's not just physiological purely because I have older clients with smaller earlobes too, but my older clients that have larger earlobes, they have saved. They're financially secure. So I'm able to say, hey, this is something you might want to think about your long term saving that right now it's showing you haven't thought about it. And so some of my clients in their 30s and 40s are like, oh, you're right. Yeah, that might be a good thought. I should think about that. And Another thing with the earlobes is if they're attached or partially detached or fully detached, Mm. really talking about how you make family, how you look at family. For people whose earlobes are attached, they're very tied. And again, these can be good or bad. And we talk about that to their family of origin. When they're partially attached, partially detached, they're a little bit of both. They can make new friends and new family where they travel but they still are tight to their family of origin. And then when they're just very detached, then Don Knotts had very detached earlobes for any of your listeners that remember Don Knotts. He was an actor. They really are disconnected from their family of origin and they do best by building new family where they go and where they travel. And that is something that is part of their lives. And when people hear that, Let's say, for example, I have someone who had an attached earlobe. I'm just thinking back and partially attached earlobe. And she was like, you know, I haven't called my mom in a long time. I really want to call her. She, she just, again, these little cues of aspects of ourselves, we get into our routine of our life and where we are and we forget what might matter. Again, we talk about that meaning. Where is meaning? Can we connect to meaning that we might have not? thought about in a long time
1: so let me make sure I've got this I love this stuff you know one of the fun things about practicing East Asian medicine is we use various diagnostics that help us to help our patients sometimes these diagnostics can give us some incredible insights into aspects of personality or aspects of habit or things that people are strong at or or places where people are weak and I mean it's almost like a party trick in a way like, let me see your tongue. Oh, 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 you've not been sleeping well, have you? It's like, how did you know that? <laughs> and there's some anxiety. It's like, how did you know I was anxious? Well, you know, there's red spots on your tongue. To us, that's nothing, right? right. Plain as the nose on your face, so to speak. It gives us these fabulous insights that we can use to help people. Because so often, it's the things that we're not aware of about ourselves. Weaknesses that we might have or strengths that we, that we have, but we don't recognize. That's a key one for me. I see this all the time in my practice, strengths that people have that they don't recognize or they think it's their weakness.
0: Oh, I have a great example of that. Yeah. So one of the things we look at are the zones of the face. So from the eyebrows to the hairline, from the eyebrows to just under the nose, and from just under the nose to just under the chin. Mm -hmm. And so that we look at the dimension, like how big each area is. So the lower zone from the below the nose to under the chin is the intuitive side. It's where people kind of have that gut instinct. The middle is the pragmatic. I need to see all the details. I want this in the real world. I want it just to really understand the physical of it. Again, these are very simplified, but generally quite helpful to think about it. And then the upper is that kind of abstract. I love to think and ponder and wonder and question. And so I had a client who was really struggling in the relationship with her husband, and I did a face reading for both of them. And it turned out that the husband's zone two was really, really strong. And the wife's zone three was really strong. So the husband's pragmatic was dominant. The woman's intuitive feeling was dominant. And they realized that oh, this is why we're clashing. They both have aspects of each kind. We all have all three. And they realize that when they need to work things out, they need to speak in a language that makes sense to each other
4: Mm -hmm. and
0: have that. Now, I have people who have equal zone two and zone three. So imagine constantly (laughs) being like, oh my gosh, I gotta get this all figured out, the nuts and bolts, and then, oh no, just go for it. And you're going back and forth. And so what I invite those people to do is do all your research, get everything solid. So you really feel that pragmatic understanding and then tune into your gut. You'll know you have done what you need to do. You have put all of the ingredients in the pot, you'll let it simmer. And then you go with your intuition. And they were like, So It feels so empowering to them because they're told, their whole lives were told in the West, don't trust your gut, right? Oh, how dare you? You know, logic, 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 that there's not this beautiful gift of sensing and feeling and intuiting. And so it's kind of giving them permission to use this strength that's evidenced on their face.
5: Hi everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here, excited to offer you a free teaching I think you'll enjoy. I wanted to offer a treatment showing that the success of the work we do depends on setting conditions where the client can let go of the beliefs that hold their pathology in place. And in this teaching you'll see a full treatment with an example of how you might do that. When I was studying with my teacher, the great master Jeffrey Ewan, In the many patient encounters in class, he would always cut straight to the chase rather than ask the patient a list of routine questions because bedside manner is everything. It's a combination of deep listening, kindness, being ready to be surprised, openness and optimism. To see the teaching, welcome to my website with forward slash cheological. That's www.annsecilsturman.com forward slash Or on my Instagram account, click the link in my profile, select free teaching, and we'll email it to you right away. Thanks, everyone. Back to you, Michael. Thank you so much.
1: Permission to use our strengths. I feel I do that in my, in my job all the time.
4: I love that. It's
1: interesting. And luckily for me, I can use a few needles to also help nudge that along without even saying anything.
0: I know. Like that is such a gift, Michael, like where you can see, but you don't have to say. Because in face reading, we don't say a lot, right? We're really very careful to be truthful. And at the same time, you don't have to say the whole truth, right? You can say really what's imminent and important and best to nudge the person along.
1: How do you know what's imminent and important in the work that you do?
0: You listen to each person as they talk. I always start with the zones, right? That's a really safe, not as personal information, because we don't look at the past. It's really a very present type of way of being in the world. And through that listening, and I also do a questionnaire beforehand, what are you worried about? What do you want to work on? And so I listen and I hear what worries them and what they're hopeful for and then through doing the face reading i try and give them the tools of what's going to help them achieve what they want to achieve because there's always something in the face that's going to help them right now just like you know the needles mm. in zun sali right <laughs> you know, like let's hit that stomach 36 cuz you know our function you know that's what they need right now so it's that same intuitive, and it's also my work in psychology, that's where I'm very blessed to wear the two hats, because sometimes I do have to say some difficult things, things that in the Western culture are considered not good, like you're impulsive, you're bossy. You're, you know. And why do I say it when I do? Because the person has indicated that relationships are something they want to work on. And so what I do is I point out here is how you might be coming across. I listen to their interpretation of that. And then we work on a strength that we've identified elsewhere in the face to help them really have growth.
1: That's great. I mean, that sounds so much like acupuncture. We identify in excess. Well, actually, they're kind of aggressive which makes them really good at their business maybe, right? Or it makes them a really great negotiator or it gives them a fire and a fuel that they can get stuff done. They, they cut through red tape. They're kind of unstoppable. And they're a bulldozer in their relationship. Unless you're in relationship with another bulldozer, maybe not so great. Or a big mountain. Big mountains can handle bulldozers. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: I do. That's a great example, yeah.
1: And then we look with Chinese medicine, with acupuncture in particular, Like, what's the counterbalance to that? And so, what you're doing is you're looking on the face, you're seeing where they have something. It's kind of their superpower in a way. Yeah. But it's not so helpful in relationship. So, you look for something else on the face that can temper that. Can you give me an example of what that looks like?
0: Yeah, definitely. So, when we talk about the lines right between the brow, you can see I have an estrangement. I have a very strong estrangement in my life that's Work through, but it's still definitely dominant for me. But anger, right? If people have two lines right here, very strong, very dominant, they have a lot of anger. So let's say I see that, I notice that. And then we also identify like the lower lid, I mean, the upper lid is kind of coming over on the right side, which indicates that they had possibly a woman in their life that was too overbearing and very caused a lot of. They could have learned good things from them, like good manners and how to be in the world, but they also felt very stifled. And I raised this as a question about, could this be a source of the anger? Mm. So from there then, let's say that I've looked at how their zones are. Are they a gut person? Are they pragmatic? Or are they a thinker? And then we'll work with that foundational skill and come up with a strategy to understand their anger better.
1: Great. So you're leaning on your strength. Exactly. Mm -hmm.
0: So do you need to think about it more? Do you need to take concrete steps to heal? Or do you want to go, what do you feel in your heart is going to make you be able to let go of some of the anger that you have from this situation?
1: This is awesome. I appreciate so much the nuance that you just spoke to in using different resources to deal with different emotional issues. Because so often... I feel like maybe it's just the world I grew up in or just the belief system that I acquired, that emotion, it's kind of a a one-dimensional thing. Like, okay, you get your emotional thing together and it's all good. Like, just get yourself emotionally in line and everything's going to be okay. But maybe not. Maybe I need to use my intuition more or maybe I need to lean on some thinking or lean more on feeling. There's actually different aspects that might be more useful than others. You know, that whole pop psychology thing or whatever the family of origin way of dealing with that thing was, it's probably a better way to say it.
0: Yeah, I love that. It
1: just may not be so.
0: And the other gift that Chinese medicine gives us is that no emotions are good or bad, right? The emotions, when they get stuck, create problems. If we get stuck in anger, we get, and you see that as you do your diagnostics and you work on that. If we get stuck in joy, we can get stuck in any emotion positive that feels good or feels bad. And really, the emotions are here to teach us. They're a lesson that we need to learn and that we feel it and we move on it. What often happens, though, is we get this kind of fortress we build around our emotions that we can't penetrate. They get stuck in our body. In Chinese medicine concept, right? That the emotions will actually physically get stuck in parts of our bodies um, as masses, as whatever. And so face reading really helps. Let go of some of this. I have, uh, for example, a woman I worked with was in her 70s, never had children. Yet the philtrum, which is the area below your nose up to the upper lip in the middle there, was quite long and broad, which meant she was fertile, and she creativity creating new life or whatever was super important for her. And she had always lamented that she hadn't had children, and we talked about creativity isn't only creating a life from your own body. Mm
4: -hmm. What
0: other ways had she been creative? And she talked about gardening, bringing new life. She'd been a teacher, all of the new thoughts, ideas, the people she helped shape. So again, it comes down to where do we get stuck and how can we get unstuck? She'd always been stuck in this feeling of lesser until she really thought about, oh, no, wait, I am more. I have more. I've given more. There are different ways to think about this.
1: I want to come back to the ears for just a second. Yeah. Because I love these kinds of things. Partly because if I can pick up something and start to use it right away, then I can pick up another piece afterwards. I look through like Lillian Bridge's book, which is fabulous, but I'm overwhelmed almost immediately. Yes. And so I find it really helpful to be able to kind of chunk things down, get them bit by bit. So back to the ears for a second when they're like long?
4: Yes.
0: Long and puffy, long, and we call it like pillows. So if you have long pillows, that's why Buddha, you always see Buddha picture with the long ears. That means that you are prosperous. And even though Buddha, for example, wasn't wealthy, Buddha had the prosperity of knowing the purpose of life, right? Buddha had the calm, the quietude. And In face reading, it doesn't mean literally financial prosperity for the level that is going to make you happy in your old age. It can mean you have children who will care for you. It can mean you have your own financial backing. It also means Mm -hmm. you can have luck in financial investments, in real estate investments. And so that is what that large pillowy, pillowy is the perfect descriptor for it, Mm -hmm. means. I have another couple fun things about the eyebrows.
1: Yeah, I would love it. Yeah, what I wanted to get from you is some things that our listeners can take with them into clinic next time they walk in.
0: Let's do that. All right. So one thing with the eyebrows, physiologically, sparse eyebrows, especially on the edges, means that liver, right? So really looking at some liver weakness, the eyebrows are the wood element. And so diagnostically, what are some strains? Emotionally, the sparse eyebrows can indicate a few things. It can indicate some excess anger. Again, we know that's tied to the liver. If you have very thick, really nice, dark, long eyebrows, you do great with lots of friends. You're able to care for a lot of people. It's very invigorating for you. You don't have to be an extrovert, but you like these deep, many friendships and you're good at it. If you have more sparse eyebrows, that might mean that that's overwhelming for you, right? It's not something that feels very comfortable. If you have eyebrow hairs that come off from the face, like, you know, they kind of stand up, those are called self-esteem eyebrows. And they let you know that you have a good sense of self-esteem. The opposite isn't true just because they don't come off. It doesn't mean you have low self-esteem, but if they do come off, it's a good, strong, robust indicator. Wood element is that kind of pioneer in the world. They're the go-getter, the doer, the changer. And that is really indicative. And one last eyebrow thing that I love is if the eyebrows go up and, you know, kind of like arch up ultimately in any way, you're action oriented. This is beautiful to know for the workplace. If you have action oriented eyebrows and a coworker doesn't, you might get frustrated because. You're the kind of person that, like, I want to get things done. Tell me what it is. You get it done and you're waiting around. And then you have somebody who is a little bit more laid back and oh, I'll get around to it. So by looking at does someone have action oriented eyebrows or not, you can gauge your expectations.
1: Or hire somebody.
0: Or hire. And oh my gosh, Lillian talks a lot about that. She does a lot of counseling for employers, how to train them in face reading for. I'm hiring people. Do you need an action-oriented person or do you need somebody who's just going to go with the flow? They're going to be content punching in the numbers or doing the data, things like that.
1: So again, tell me how that action-oriented eyebrow looks.
0: So it can go up and then come down, but there's always some kind of upward movement. So like if I'm looking at your left eyebrow, you've got an action-oriented movement on that eyebrow there.
4: Mm -hmm.
0: And again, this is that empowerment. One of the reasons I wanted to Be trained in face reading was when I lived in Shanghai for two years. People would always comment on my face. They would make comments about my face, what it meant, what they saw, the Shen in my eyes, which the Shen, for people who don't know, is the spirit, the life you bring. Oh, that was the other thing, Michael. When I was immersed in the reading everything I could read and kind of going down that dark rabbit hole during the pandemic, my Shen completely dimmed, and I would look in the mirror and I didn't recognize myself. And I just was like, I love my shen. I love the spirit that I can bring. That's been my gift my whole life to bring out that in others. So how can I bring it out in others if I don't have it in myself? So
1: so we're kind of back to meaning here, aren't we?
0: We are. And the meaning, I think for people, again, I really invite what I love about face reading is that when I work with my clients and if they want to buy Lillian's book and do their own face reading, each individual gives their own meaning. The same thing was true when I did art therapy or I did work with clients in narrative therapy, even cognitive behavioral therapy that I did. It is all about helping people find their story, the meaning in their life, the meaning behind their suffering and the meaning behind their hopes and dreams for the future. And face reading is a shortcut to help people really find the next step on their journey to purpose, to joy. And that's what I love about it.
1: Find the meaning in the difficulties. Find the meaning in the hopes. Yeah. Yeah, that just, I mean, that rings a bell in so many ways. I don't want to dwell on this, but I just want to put a pin in it. Earlier in the conversation, we are talking about young people and teenagers, especially and the troubles that they're going through these days, the zeitgeist that they're living through. I don't have to live through what they're living through. I'm old enough that in some ways it doesn't touch me that much and a lot of it I can just plain flip and ignore. But they can't. Right. Yeah, I see the signs of difficulty all over the place with them. I don't know, we need to get someone on the podcast to talk about to take care of kids. Anyone listening to this right now that's working with kids, especially with their mental and emotional well-being with Chinese medicine, let me know. I want to have you on.
0: <laughs> I want to listen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe we'll have you on too.
0: Yeah, I really, really, because I did, I, most of my professional life was with adolescents predominantly, and then some preteens near the end of my career No, no, that's not true. I did preteens all throughout as well. I even worked with little preschoolers when I used to run art camps. And one thing that I noticed that's different now is the social media. Is other people? I just read a great book from the 1960s called The Golden Fleece, Mm -hmm. and it was by a marketing Madison Avenue classic madman. The TV show is based on guys like him, and he had been in the practice for 15 years, and he breaks down marketing from The 1800s through the 1960s, up to when he was, I think he wrote the book in 63 or 65, and the purposeful manipulation. And in fact, I won an award from the American Psychological Association on a paper, an ethics award titled The Dangers of Youth Consumerism, and begging psychologists to follow their own code of ethics, to not use psychological principles to market to youth, because it is shown that it causes incredible harm. I would love to hear someone talk about how do you really protect children, protect adolescents from these billions of dollars that are being thrown to get them to feel lesser so they buy stuff to fill the gap.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we could go on for a while with that. Yeah. If there's someone out there that's working with kids. I'd love to know. But back to some other things that we can do in clinic. I've noticed that certain people, even when they smile, like the corners of their face are always turned downwards as if they're frowning, even when they're smiling. Yes.
0: Okay. So that literally means, and I saw through the pandemic so much more of this, and it means you've had a recent bout of pessimism. You have recently become, have feelings of hopelessness. So if it's perpetual, People will always have that right, like mm. but it goes away, it can change, it can shift when you find your optimism and that's the ultimate goal right of acupuncture, face reading, qigong, everything is to have an optimistic view of life because a pessimistic view of life makes us sick, it brings us in, it contracts us it I know a lot of people we have an origin story of pessimism, I'm never disappointed, but we know that you're always disappointed. <laughs> You know when you're a pessimist,
1: right? Well, and, it, and it's a great way to never try anything. Well, why bother trying? Nothing's going to change. It's only going to be exactly. You know.
0: Yeah. So that's what that means, Michael. So when you see people with that downward turn of their mouth, they are hopeless right now. And maybe not hopeless. They're pessimistic right now. Yeah. Yeah. They're pessimistic.
1: That makes sense.
0: It does. It does. I'm trying to think another really cool thing that I love with the ears. Because it is such a glimpse back in time that it gets people thinking about their life purpose is the tops of the ears. If you take a line, you can take a picture from the side and draw a line of where the tops of your ears come in relation to your eyebrows and your eyes. Mm. If it comes to your forehead or the upper brows, it means that you came into your own. You found out who you are. And what matters in your life in your 20s, in the right below the eyebrows is the 30s and in the eyes is in the 40s. And very rarely, I've never seen anyone below their eyes, but it's such a powerful thing because they can reflect back to that time. What was going on? What did I care about? What did I think about? Am I still in alignment with that? Mm. Have I come out of alignment with that? Am I joyful that, yeah, I remember I struggled and then, man, I hit my 40s. My kids were older. My life was more settled. I really knew what I wanted. And it's such a point of conversation that reminds people again of meaning. So that's why I wanted to share that one. It's another good tool to check at the different ages in which people came into who they are.
1: That's wonderful. Again, I'm a fan of leaning on the resources that we have, especially if we're not aware of them. Right. We're aware of them all the better, but so often we're not aware of the resources we have. And so if there's something that we can do as practitioners that let us see where people might have resources, yeah, where they might have capabilities, where they might have capacity that they didn't know about, like, oh yeah, so was there a time in, I don't know, look at the ears, yeah, I don't know, your 20s when maybe you had a, Moment of recognition would be like, oh, yeah, I was 27 and blah, blah, blah. That'd be great. That's easy to work with, isn't it?
0: It is. It really is. And I'll share one last one because I don't want to give too many because it'd just be overwhelming. But this is a really beautiful one. When we look at people's lips, we can see the fullness of their lips. If they have both a full upper and a full lower lip, just nice, they are better able to express their emotions. They're better able to give to others. When people have smaller lips tighter, like more of a tight lip, like even when they smile, it's difficult for them to express their emotions. And they might need some encouragement and kindness around that in order to feel more comfortable to share. The giving, it's interesting, like when people have a very large upper lip, you might be mindful that they're not giving to others as much as might benefit them. They might be feeling so lost. I have to take, 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 take because I'm so empty. And so really looking at a very dominant upper lip maybe help you see that it might be a more challenging patient to work with, a person who might just have a lot more needs because something feels very empty for them. They might need some help with that.
1: So even though they have a well-filled out upper lip, they're feeling empty.
0: Well, the upper lip indicates that they are more focused on themselves than others.
1: Mm-hmm. So you might see a very full upper lip in people that are more narcissistic?
0: I hesitate to use that. That was what I was thinking, but possibly because Lillian doesn't teach that. That's not a label that she would give it. So that's why I hesitate to use that label. But
1: I'm not Lillian.
0: Okay. From a psychological perspective, yes.
1: I'm going to say from a clinician's perspective.
0: Clinician's perspective, yes.
1: I try not to judge people. I can't help it. I'm a human. Right. I try to use discernment and it's just helpful to know who you're dealing with.
0: And that's why I shared it because I think it's important that, you know, the opposite would be really true as well. Very important if you have someone with a very large lower lip, Mm. they might be giving too much to everybody else and not caring enough for themselves, right? They could be too much of the earth element, too caring, to giving, to effusive, and then the lips are imbalanced, you have a beautiful proportion, then they also care for themselves. But if that upper lip is incredibly thin, then that's an indication, yay, good for you for making time to come to acupuncture today. I'm so happy you're here. It's beautiful that you're caring for yourself. They might need that reinforcement.
1: This is interesting. I'm thinking about some of the patients I have and some of the complaints around, well, I do all this for all these people and blah, blah, blah. So those words from somebody with a full lower lip means one thing. Those words from somebody with a full upper lip means something completely different.
0: Oh my gosh. That is the best example. Yes.
1: Completely. Completely. Cool. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is something we can take to the bank, so to speak. Well. We are coming close to the time we have to land this thing, but I could just go on for a few hours yet, so I don't know. We may have to do a part two at some point. I say this all the time. I'm beginning to think this podcast should be like three hours instead of an hour. You know, we should go like Joe Rogan on it and right. bring in some cigars and whiskey and plenty of water and maybe a snack or two, you know, go for a few hours. Maybe we should try that at some point.
0: Anyway.
1: I'm thinking some, yeah, pu tea and some Yeah, bring in some pu tea like pu tea. And really good whiskey, it's a good combination.
0: I've never tried that. There you go.
1: Okay, there we go. All <laughs> right, we might have to do that. Live on Geological, pure and whiskey tasting.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Michael, for, again, letting me share with your community and, again, part of this conversation of empowerment. We're all here to inspire each other in this healing work that we do, as well as to inspire people who are just trying to step into their best selves and into their happiness and I'm just so happy to have been able to be a part of that journey
1: Delighted to have you as part of the conversation if people want to know more about you Of course, we'll have some information on the show notes page, but just tell us quickly Where can they find you on the internet if they want to know more?
0: Yeah, so Name of my company is Radiant Shenti, and they'll probably have to look for the link for how that's spelled. But that's a membership site where I do Qigong, Guasha, which is massage with beautiful healing stones and meditation, Reiki. I have a lot of guest teachers that teach for me. And so that's my membership site where we meet live twice and then have a video library, just that we put into practice everything we talked about today. And then I'm also on Insight Timer. My name, again, is Julie Kramer, but I spell my name without an E, J-U-L-I, because I I was named after a Julia and they dropped the A. And then I'm also, because I want to give for free, you know, making sure. So Insight Timer is one way. And then on YouTube, because I know a lot of people are there. I do have videos on YouTube that are grouped by topic that can help people find what they might be looking
1: for. Fantastic. And maybe we could find out a few more things about face reading.
0: Yeah. So really, face reading I have on RadiantShenty.com, and that's where they'll find that. There's actually a place where you can click and learn more about face reading. So that's the best place for that.
1: Great. I've had such a great time today. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I really love talking with you. You're just an incredible human being, so I really appreciate this time together.
1: Using the face might be the most least used diagnostic in our East Asian medicine toolkit. It's another way to open our senses and see the traces of how a person's life and the health of their organs is expressing outward in a way that we can readily perceive should we know how to look and remember to do so. Well friends, that just about does it for today. I hope that you have enjoyed this podcast conversation and found something helpful that you can take into your clinical work and begin to investigate the next time you sit down with a patient. Geological is made possible by listeners like you who help to support the podcast. If you found the past hour or so to be of value, why not support Geological by leaving a dollar or two or really whatever feels right for you in the digital tip jar. Text the word podcast chi to the number 33777 that's podcast chi or one word to the number 33777 we'll be back again next tuesday morning with another conversation on east asian medicine and methods be sure to tune in then